This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. What's up, Americans? (laughs) You might have thought, oh, it's Labor Day. She's not going to be. Yes, yes, I am. Yes, here I am. Live and direct to you and full of great stuff for us to talk about on Labor Day. So happy Labor Day to you. I hope you've had a relaxing weekend and that you are just easing on into the week. And if you're listening to the podcast and you're catching this later, I hope that your entire Labor Day was full of just fantasticness. Uh, we so far this weekend have had all the kids home. So we've just been laughing and giggling. We've watched a few movies, um, did a little bit of outside work on a couple projects where a couple of sets of extra hands have been fantastic. And then I went running around with the oldest daughter. Uh, we went to church. We went out and caught a bite to eat together as a family. And I was just thinking, because I was working on some, you know, you know how it is where you look around, you're like, wow, where'd all this clutter come from? So you start, you start in one space, one tiny little space. You're like, I'm going to clean this off. And then before you know it, you're like, what have I done? So then you have to keep going. And that's where I was this morning. And I was thinking, well, it is Labor Day, but I did have a couple things planned to talk about. And so I was kind of waffling back and forth. And then I thought, you know, after last month's fantastic download situation, on the podcast and we really got some positive feedback um, from just some different places where I was, I was surprised and really pleased. I felt like, you know what? It's Labor Day. I'm going to work. So here I am. Um, So today on the show, we're going to dive into some second amendment update stuff from the national shooting sports foundation. The president, Joe Bartoli, or sorry, Bartosi, Joe Bartosi actually has a report out in this month's issue it's the uh, it's actually the bi-monthly newsletter, Firearms Industry News, about the economic impact of the Second Amendment. So we're going to dive into that. Um, and I for, first want to just launch into our encouragement segment because it's about forgiveness. And this is a sore spot with a lot of us. A lot of us have someone who's done, you know, you know how just what happens is someone does something to you and it might be small that you feel like you just can't really get, um, you can't get rid of it. It's small, but it just keeps popping up. You say, I've forgiven them. I'm letting it go. They're never going to apologize, mind you. But you're maybe thinking, this is tiny. Why am I holding on to this? But at some point, it kind of digs in, puts some roots down. And before you know it, you really can't stand to see that person. And you really have kind of moved into unforgiveness. There's also the situation where someone really wrongs you. They do something really bad to you. And you deserve an apology. Um, they should be apologizing to you, but they've moved on with their life and they are not going to apologize. And they're, they're pretty much in a place where they're just, they're just happy to be alive and they have not thought about you again. And that one can be especially, uh, deadly for us as Christians because it puts us in a position where we literally begin to hate that person. And it's not a conscious choice where you wake up one morning and say, you know what? Today's the day. I'm going to start to hate Joe Schmo and I'm going to keep hating him until the rest of my life is over. I'm just, this is my, one of my true missions in life. Top 10. It's never like that. It's more like you just begin to internalize it, not pay attention to it, push it down. And before long, it is exactly that. So in any case, if you're living in unforgiveness, it is a sin and it is something that you want to get under control because the Bible says we cannot be forgiven if we are walking in unforgiveness ourselves. So um, uh, before we launch into the details of that, because I have it right here, um, I want to say for those who are uh, in the hurricane path of destruction and all of that, if you're working through that, our prayers are with you. And also um, we want to just acknowledge the carnage in Texas, that there was a mass shooting there and that we are also praying for those people. So I found yet another, and you guys know I've covered forgiveness on the show a few times. Um, if you heard it before, this is different, but it's it's still, basically, we have to forgive. Okay, that's the gist of this whole thing. Um, 
So when we forgive others, we find freedom with God is the title of this piece over at Life Set. And you can find it to read for yourself at the show notes, listen.stacyontheright.com. And so the, the author, she's a counselor, and she was counseling someone who was chained by bitterness. And this was a part of the counseling process. And when the counselor asked her, you know, what, what is going on here? Like, what, why can't you let this go? Or why have you not let this go before it became such a huge issue for you? And the woman burst into tears because she, she just, it's, it's something that if you've been holding on to it, it's an undercurrent to your whole life. If you have unforgiveness in your life, it's an undercurrent that sometimes it's pressed down and you're not, you're not really paying attention to it. But for the most part, it is there and it is under the surface and it, it kind of impacts every other thing. So she was talking about the prison of unforgiveness and the counselor was kind of saying, look, I've been there. I know what that feels like. And she was crying and the counselor shared why she believed the woman felt so chained here. And so um, she goes into the story of the unforgiving servant from the Bible. The master forgives the servant a mountain of debt that, that the servant owes him. And he doesn't think he'll ever be able to repay it in his lifetime. He begs for forgiveness of the debt. And the master says, yes, I'll forgive it for you. And then the servant turns around and another servant says to him, I have a small debt that I owe to you and I can't repay you right now. And the forgiven servant chokes the his his basically his cohort chokes him and then has the jailers toss him into prison until he can pay. Well, the master heard about this occurrence and said to the servant he'd forgiven the debt for, he said, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? Then he delivered him to the jailers until he could repay all of his debt. So the forgiven debt that he had, basically it was wiped away, was revived and set back against him. The reason this story is so perfect for what happens when we don't forgive is that God has through his son, Jesus Christ, forgiven us for every horrible wrong. And so even if someone wrongs us horribly, no sin debt can be greater than the one that was paid for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. And so in any time we say we're not going to forgive someone, it's like we're spitting in God's face because he's forgiven us of so much more. So the other thing about unforgiveness is that it imprisons us and makes it basically stops us in our tracks while the person that we've chosen not to forgive has moved on. And, and you know, there, it, have you ever noticed that how much a person who's wronged you can kind of flourish in your face while you're just, you know, basically thinking you're seething with rage or you're just stuck wherever you are. So we forfeit the freedom we find in God's love when we don't forgive. So Matthew six fourteen says, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive yours. Our failure to forgive each other exiles us from experiencing a close relationship with God. We're like the child of a great king with access to riches and beauty and, uh, you know, education and, and art and so many things that come along with that station in life. And instead of enjoying that, we choose to go into the prison, the king's prison, and sit in there instead. The door's unlocked. We just walk in and sit down and choose to live there instead of living out the glorious inheritance that is ours. We don't have to live this way because when we give forgiveness, we find freedom. One thing that we're afraid of is that if we forgive someone, they've gotten away with it. That if we forgive them, we are weakening ourselves because we haven't exacted uh, you know, some kind of accountability from that person. And nothing could be further from the truth because God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And he also says, "In nothing is wasted. So if your work's not wasted, neither are your tears or your sorrow. God says he numbers our tears. He's close to the brokenhearted. And he, in his wisdom, knows how to repay people for things that they've done wrong. We we know this in our own lives. Um, so it, it's... It's to our own benefit to forgive. It is a commandment that we forgive. When we don't forgive, we forfeit the riches of inheritance and the relationship with Jesus Christ that we are in not only entitled to, but that is given freely to us. And we imprison ourselves, placing us, placing ourselves in a position to uh, basically 
be hemmed in and to experience negative things when God has good things for us that he wants us to be able to have, to, to share, to, he wants to flow through us. We stop all of that when we live in unforgiveness. So there are many, many different steps that you can take to walk in forgiveness. Um, one of the ones that I read in a Christian book, and I discussed on once a couple years ago, I think, on a show was that sometimes it's writing out a letter to the person that's wronged you, and then you read that letter aloud, then you pray over the situation, you pray for that person, you pray for yourself, and you choose to forgive them, and you say, to God, I choose to forgive this person. Help me to walk in forgiveness. Help me to release this person from their burden and, and please release me. And then you ball it up and throw it away. You stick it in your fireplace and set it on fire, put it in a trash can, set it on fire. Please be safe. Um, or in, in other words, you take that letter with all of the hurts and it's a symbolic gesture, burning it or, or throwing it away or shredding it, but it's to give yourself some closure and to literally walk out the steps to forgiveness. And so I would say I've actually done that before. I think it is healing. It does it does help, but sometimes afterwards you've 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 forgiven, you've chosen to forgive, you've prayed, you've burned the piece of paper that you wrote the letter out on and then the feelings come back. And that's when you take every cop every thought captive. <laughs> you take every thought captive by saying um you you feel that the feeling and the thoughts start coming on. Yeah, don't forget what she did to you. And that's the enemy of course speaking to you. Don't forget what she did to you. Don't forget what she said about you. Don't forget how she treated you. And then you just immediately catch that thought like a net catching a butterfly. And you say, up, taking every thought captive. I capture that thought. I'm giving it to you, God. Please take this thought and please banish it from my mind. Let it never return. And then move on. You know, keep keep moving on with what you're doing in the day, whether you're driving somewhere or you're, you know how it's in those inopportune times when you're perfectly happy and then those thoughts come in to remind you of something that you've already put behind you. It tries to come back and jump back into your basket. You capture it, give it to God, move on. Um, so I'll be talking a little bit more about that process that I'm describing there as I learn more about it because there's a Bible study that has to do with um, actually walking in freedom. And once I have more details about the steps and and I, I have the book, but I haven't finished it, so I don't want to get ahead of myself and sharing too much. But I'm going to be bringing it back up in later encouragement segments, so that's going to be really, really great. Um, so that's that. So I want to. I don't know if we have enough time here left in this segment. I think I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, we're going to do this Second Amendment report um, on the Democratic candidates running against guns. Here we go. It's Stacy on the right, and this is the Second Amendment Report. All right, so this is actually, these are details that are really important to put in your toolkit for when you're talking to people, and they say, why don't you support gun control? Look at these shootings that keep happening. Look at this horrible, dastardly uh, industry that's only hurting Americans. Well, it turns out that the firearms industry is America. It employs a lot of people uh, in 312,000 jobs. Does that sound significant to you? Also, earning $15.7 billion in wages and having a total economic impact of over $52 billion. We're talking about um, the lawful businesses of providing that, that are providing firearms to the more than 100 million law-abiding American gun owners in every state for legal and lawful use, including recreational shooting, hunting, and self-defense. Now, every Democratic candidate is gunning for an industry that has a, an economic impact of having paid more than $6.8 billion in total taxes in 2019 alone. So far this year, the gun industry, the firearms industry, has paid more than $6.8 billion in total taxes. Now, remember, one of the justifications for illegal immigration is that illegal aliens pay tax and they help fund you know, our, our local and state governments and then federal because they pay tax. Okay, so why doesn't that argument work for the firearms industry? Well, I can tell you, it doesn't really work for illegal immigration, but it does work for the firearms industry. Um, the firearms industry is, is the fabric of America, and let me explain to you why. The industry actually provides and supplies firearms for our armed forces and for the brave men and women of law enforcement, and those guns are used to protect our nation and keep our communities safe. Don't forget the millions of defensive gun uses every year that don't make the news where 
law-abiding citizens use guns to protect themselves and lower our crime rate without ever firing a shot. Uh, then we also have the negative rhetoric that's coming out of the candidates. And I'm talking about Joe Biden saying he would buy back weapons using tax dollars. That's a loser. Amy Klobuchar saying she wants confiscation by buying back guns and then making criminal penalties if you don't sell. Garbage, all of it. We'll be back right after this. Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me. But I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Okay, man, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Show the world that you're tougher than tough. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Okay, forest animals. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Welcome back. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, I want to just quickly pop into, oh yeah, so over on Facebook, we have a slightly diminished audience, but uh, definitely still people listening. And, um, oh, so we have a little bit of latency on Facebook. But remember, whenever you're watching the show, you can always jump over to StaceyOnTheRight.com during the live stream time, and you'll find us there. Um, also on Periscope. And so... A lot of people are saying they weren't sure if I was going to be on today. Happy Labor Day. Yeah, I decided to come on, and I'm so glad um, that I'm here with you. Uh, so going back to what we were discussing just before we left off from from the break, I just want to complete this off with these uh, Democratic candidates. Um, so you've got Amy Klobuchar. Her quote when she was defending firearms confiscation as legal is, that's not confiscation. You would give them the offer to buy back the gun. And she didn't actually tell them that the people she was speaking with that she would also have criminal penalties for people who refuse her offer. 
And just to tell you what that looks like in real life, New Zealand is attempting confiscation right now, and just a couple hundred of the country's 1.2 million semi-automatic firearms have been surrendered because gun owners there don't trust the government to protect them or pay them their fair market value for these firearms. Now, moving forward to um, executive actions that President Obama took back in 2012, he actually had a gun control task force. They, these, they proposed 23 executive actions, including exploring gun safety technologies. Now, the National Institutes of Justice studied the technology to unlock guns, quote unquote. And after investing $12.6 million in research over the course of 15 years, none were successful. Add to that a recent survey that found that just 5% of gun buyers would consider buying a so-called smart gun. A further 70% said they would never consider it for fear of failure when the gun is needed most. A gun, especially when used to defend lives, must work as intended without fail or flaw. And that technology does not yet exist. Now, I want to, I want to highlight something from that. Um, and I, I, I have another piece over here about the gun confiscation with a Congressional Research Service report. But let me just say, if you do anything having to do with um, tools and technology, you know, the simpler the tool, the better it works. Even for complex tools, if you add too much additional extraneous technology into it, you're going to find that it doesn't work as well. With firearms, the technology is simple, keeping it safe and making it functional so that it's easy to uh, troubleshoot and figure out what's wrong with this firearm. Why is it jammed? Why is it not working? So the 2012 Congressional Research Service report showed that as private gun ownership expanded between 1993 and 2009, firearm-related murder and non-negligent homicide plummeted. Moreover, the report showed that the decline in firearm-related murder and non-negligent homicide came as, a num- as the number of privately owned guns jumped from roughly 192 million in 1994 to 310 million in 2009. Now, current estimates put the level of gun ownership in this country as far as the number of firearms at between 400 million and 600 million. Um, and that is to our benefit. And now, again, not speaking of the unlawful, the black market gun ownership, uh, you know, numbers. We don't know what those are. Some people, uh, some, some statisticians say it's like 150 million, um, illegally owned firearms. That's too many, but we're never going to stop. Uh, people from breaking the law. Not, we're never going to have a hundred percent compliance rate with law lawbreakers. You know, people not not breaking the law. So, as far as the commonly owned semi-automatic rifles for which Beto O'Rourke wants to mandate forfeiture, and he's not the only one. It's all the Democratic candidates are on the same kick. FBI crime stats show nearly four times as many people were stabbed to death in 2017 as were killed with rifles of any kind. Four times as many people stabbed as were killed with rifles. The same FBI stats show more people were killed with hammers and clubs than rifles, and no one's talking about confiscating those. So this piece by AWR Hawkins is actually on uh, the show notes as well, and you can check that out. And I want to now pivot over to uh, this kind of a Labor Day topic, speaking of unions. Now, unions... uh, well, you know, I feel like public sector unions are, that's perfectly fine. Uh, private sector unions, sorry, private sector unions, perfectly fine because those are something that you can join and, you know, you, you can not join. Public sector unions are this, this, it's an anomaly because you have politicians and union representatives are represented. But the people aren't represented. And the reason I say that is because the politicians are often right there in bed with the union representatives, leaving the taxpayer uh, and the and the public out of the equation. So as we're taking this day off to celebrate Labor Day, it's interesting to kind of think about um, how unionized labor, organized labor, the leadership of it, not the actual members, but the leadership has become so horrifically corrupt Moving from a time when unions actually got, you know, some semblance of normalcy for Americans in the fact that we work Monday through Friday, um, you know, typically, unless you're a shift worker. But even then, they're trying to give you a five day a week work week. So maybe you're a Tuesday through uh, Sunday worker or maybe, you're, you know, you, 
or you have Tuesday through Saturday where you have mon- Sunday and Monday off, whatever the case might be, you have a set number of hours that you work per week and that's normalized so that everyone has the same expectation. And, um, but the free speech implications here for unions actually crushing free speech and saying that only Democrats can be given the money that unions raise for their political activities. And, and if you don't support Democrats, you have no right to direct your funds to Republicans and that you have no right to say, I don't want to give to Democrats. If you're a member of a union, that's where the Supreme court has entered in and ruled against those kinds of, basically they're enshrined in law right now and, and unions are fighting back against that. So last year you remember the Janus ruling um, and what we've seen since the Janus ruling, which said every worker has a right to be a member of a union, not be a member of a union, and not have their uh, their their money going towards Democratic candidates. In fact, let me give you the specifics here. Janus v. AFS-CME, this is a ruling that they made in 2018. The Supreme Court defended the free speech of Mark Janus, an Illinois child support staffer who refused to join the local union, afs SCME Council 31. While he did not have to pay use or dues, I'm sorry, a little weird with the talking today. While he did not have to pay dues, the union still forced him to pay agency fees, which is a large portion of the union dues on the theory that he benefited from the union's bargaining. So Janice objected, saying he didn't want to support the union financially. He argued that them forcing him to pay the fees against his will was a violation of his First Amendment right to free speech and freedom of association. Well, the union defended the agency fees. They insisted they weren't political. Yet the the Council 31 spent $268,855 for convention expense in 2016, taking this from the funds gathered by the, quote, non-political, end quote, agency fees. The convention in 2016 featured a lengthy AFS-CME for Hillary program, complete with a Hillary Clinton speech. On the very first day of the convention, the union's president led attendees in booing Donald Trump. And on the third day, the convention adjourned early so members could participate in a Trump Hotel direct action protest march. They even chartered buses for the protest the convention did, meaning union members paid for that. Mandatory agency fees actually forced one woman in another case to effectively contribute money used to attack her own husband's political campaign. Deborah Neerman, a public employee in Oregon, refused to join SEIU 503 because she opposed the union's political positions. Neerman is a pro-life Catholic and the SEIU 503 funds pro-abortion candidates. In 2016, the SEIU forced her to pay $1,258.91. She fought to opt out and received a refund of just $273.68. That year... Her husband, Mike Neerman, ran for state representative and won the election. But the union spent $53,260 against him, also running political ads against him that his wife described as disgusting. They also, this same union, endorsed the Radical Green New Deal, which aims to change the entire economy and would cost at least $250,000 per household in the first five years. Good luck cobbling that together, Americans. Uh, So... What's happening is unions are actually circumventing the Janus ruling by using politically savvy actors at the state level. And uh, Charles Mitchell, who's the president and CEO for the Commonwealth Foundation, explained in a statement on Friday saying, quote, advocates for workers cannot rest on their laurels and expect, expect public employees newly restored rights to be respected. States must pass laws that enforce and protect the Janus ruling. Now, this is a pretty interesting, um, like, when you look at the to- totality of the Janus ruling and what, what happened, you know, on the state level with these two individuals who, they're representative of many, many, many Americans, uh, millions of Americans who are in unions who just, they're not Democrats. So there's nothing wrong with being in a union and being a Democrat, but there shouldn't be anything wrong with being in a union and being a Republican. But if your views aren't supported, there's no representation for you, then why should you have to pay to be in the union? So they're no longer forcing non-members to pay agency fees, meaning that organized labor has lost a great deal of money. Many union members who reluctantly joined a union since they would have to pay the fees anyway are choosing to leave now that they have the option of refusing to pay any money at all. 
according to the Freedom Foundation, unions in California, Oregon, and Washington State lost approximately 25,000 members in their first six months after Janus. That total number of membership loss will help them to lose respectively about $20 million a year going forward. Unions responded with a legislative blitz and more than 100 pro-union bills were introduced this year in 2019, attempting to maintain the union stranglehold over workers. Now, 21 states earned a D or F grade for worker freedom. These states either provide non-member fee workarounds, expand union privileges like taxpayer-funded union work, provide employees private information to union to facilitate organizing, meaning your cell phone number, your home address. So when you're at home, two people show up, and they're not they're not nice about it. They show up and threaten you and say you need to be in the union. They call your cell phone repeatedly. Basically, it's kind of the kind of pressure that you see from bullies and stalkers, and they keep that up until you finally just give in and say yes. Now, strong-willed people would just tell them, you know what you can do, show up here again, and we're going to get into it on this front porch. But some people aren't strong-willed like that, and they're the ones they're looking for. They're easy pickings. They're going to force those people back into the situation that Janice is supposed to protect them from. So um, they also have unionized new classes of workers without their knowledge or consent, or they've used public resources to require automatic dues collection, meaning you're basically opted into a union and the dues are collected out against your will. And when you ask about it, you're told there's nothing that can be done. Well, that is a direct violation of the Supreme Court's ruling. Yet there it is. So uh, workers have filed more than 70 related Janus-related lawsuits seeking to escape unions and recoup their mandatory agency fees. Nearly half of those 70 lawsuits have been filed in California and Pennsylvania. Um, so I think it's interesting um, that that all of these things are happening. You, you see the pushback from unions who are basically saying, we don't care about no stinking Supreme Court. We're not going to listen to you. And then you have the workers themselves who are fighting for freedom and trying their best to get, um, just trying desperately to get the rights that have been given to them by the Supreme Court's ruling. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it cracks out. You have to basically have a kind of a, a uh, diligence posture where you're going to be diligent and you're just not going to give up on getting the rights that were given to you by the Supreme Court. Um, I wanted to just quickly, uh, you know, kind of cover this story about the New York Post reporting um, that angry Muslim American voters are tired of being ignored by the Democratic Party's presidential candidates. Muslims actually represent the fastest growing source of Democratic votes. And only two of the party's White House contenders, Bernie Sanders and Julian Castro, agreed to speak at Saturday's presidential forum at the annual convention of the Islamic Society of North America. 30,000 people convened on Houston, Texas this weekend to attend this uh, convention. Now, usually... The Democrats, if they can find 30,000 people to get in front of and they know they're not Republicans, they'll do it, especially if they're a part of a, you know, aggrieved minority group. Um, but they haven't they haven't gone to this meeting. They have they have yet to send a, a good representation from the Democrat leadership to this group. Now, again, we're talking about the Islamic Society of North America, their annual convention. It's in Houston this weekend, actually. Um, but in the same story by the New York Post, they here's this quote in, in this story. It says federal prosecutors named the Islamic Society of North America as an unindicted co-conspirator in their case against the Holy Land Foundation, which is a group that was convicted of raising millions of dollars for Hamas, a State Department designated terror organization. So I guess my question is, um, forget about Democratic candidates speaking to this group. We have 30,000 Muslims in America who wish to be seen at a convention hosted by a group that's an unindicted co-conspirator. 30,000 Muslims feel comfortable convening on Houston and attending a group that actually is an unindicted co-conspirator. You would think that Muslims in America, just like any other group, whites, Hispanics, I don't care what your, what your tan level is. You would think that, Americans enjoying America 
would say, eh, any group that supports Hamas or supports terrorism, I can't be, I can't be down with that. And yeah, I, I hope your loins are girded up because here it comes. Are you telling me that a group of people who hates to be associated with terrorism and doesn't like it when Americans accuse them of terrorism, that that same group is going to gather together with a group that funds terrorism while they're still mad about being accused of being terrorists? That's a little weird, isn't it? All right, we'll be back with the last segment of the show on Labor Day. Stay right there. My mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba. Please be done. Over and over and over and over and over. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Man, I love my kids so much. I once sat for three hours in the cold rain to watch her soccer team lose by 18 goals. I love my kids so much, I once used a tube to suck snot out of her stuffed nose at 3 a.m. You win. Love your kids? Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat. From toddlers to tweens, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to find the right seat for their age and size. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless, dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who... Had to be independent and take initiative. And that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. What up, what up, what up? Yes, we are doing a show on Labor Day. <laughs> you know what? I'm so glad to be with you. Um, over the weekend, we were in here in the little Stacy on the Right Show studio. And it was me and a couple, uh, you know, my, it was my husband. And I actually, we weren't all in here at the same time. I happened to be in here over the weekend a couple times. And I was just checking my podcast download numbers. And I was so excited because, I mean, I know, you know, I'm, I'm, not a Ben Shapiro when it comes to numbers, right? Ben Shapiro, bro. He's awesome. He rocks. Um, but it, we are definitely having a really great response to the show online. A lot of people are downloading the podcast and the numbers are up significantly from last year. So I'm, I'm, I'm needing everybody to just keep, 
mainly the prayer. If you're, if you're one of the people who you're my Anna's out there, you ladies or you men, you know, your prayer warriors, you're out there praying for the show and its success. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. And just know that your prayers are being answered. Uh, we don't yet have advertisers and I'm still trusting God for that. But the big deal is that a lot more people are downloading the show last month than they were the first month. We had exponential growth, which is what I was praying for, and got answered. So we're hoping for even more of that this month, which is why I felt so excited about doing a show today because I wanted to make sure that any, so let's say people, the majority of people are out, you know, barbecuing and having a good time today or shopping or whatever, and they're unplugged. But when they come back, they might tomorrow be looking for, you know, well, did she do a show? What's it? So if they're looking, here it is. The podcast will be there for them to listen to. And I just also wanted to give a shout out in our chat room over at StacyOnTheRight.com. We have Jorn, Chow, C. Rogers, um, Mrs. Yee, and Tracy. Awesome. Hey, you guys. Happy Labor Day. Thanks for being there. And then Doug Poss, Dolly Smith, Terry McCoy, Lori uh, Buck, and Merle... Uh, so many people over in, on the YouTube chat room site. Uh, Richard, Richard Layton. Uh, some people had to come over from Facebook because there was a lot of latency over there. Not sure what's going on, but Facebook, yo, why are you being so mean? Why are you treating me like that? Um, so <laughs> now I want to get to, we have just a couple more things I want to cover before the end of the show today. And these are kind of informational. And um, I also wanted to say, because I had a great idea over the weekend about doing why does President Trump dot, dot, dot doing at least a whole segment, maybe even a whole show on some of the topics. Like I had someone ask me, why does President Trump want to deport all of the illegal aliens? Why does he want to deport Mexicans? And so I answered that. And it was in text. I was going back and forth in the text and I was putting in as much information as I could. It occurred to me it would be a good good segment or even good topic for an entire podcast since we're, we have about like 40 some minutes of, of content during a podcast that lasts about 53 minutes. So um, I thought to myself, you know, that that would actually be a good one. And then I thought of all the different things that people actually type into Google. So if you have one that you think would be amazing for us to do as a show topic, why does President Trump, which... It's kind of a euphemism. When people use President Trump as the boogeyman, they're really not just angry with him. They're angry with anybody who voted for him, anyone who supports the Republican Party, et cetera, et cetera. So the question is, why do people want XXX? Why do people want uh, refuse to want gun control? Um, Why are the one question? Why are black voters backing two old white guys? Um, Why are Texas gun laws so lax in these, some of these questions are from the liberal brain, right? They're, they're being asked from the liberal brain, but wouldn't it be great if we answered them here on this show and it could become a resource for people, maybe even change their minds. And I know that's hard, that it's hard to get someone to give up their political ideology, but it's worth trying. It's worth us trying. So like, why are uh, why, why would any woman be pro-life? These, these are some topics that I thought would be really great to cover. And then as a housekeeping note, uh, this Thursday, no Friday, sorry, this Friday, you guys are going to get to hear from, um, Dr. Walter E. Williams. He's going to be on my show. This is bucket list territory. You guys know for me, it was like Ann Coulter. I still want to interview President Trump. I want to interview Vice President Pence. Uh, I want to interview Thomas Sowell. And of course, no, no show is complete without having spoken to the inimitable and really he's a brain trust for our country, Walter Williams. Same with Thomas Sowell. Um, I've already interviewed Star Parker, another brain trust for this, this, this nation. Um, so it, I, I'm excited. That happens this Friday. You guys, it's going to be a, a, an epic must share program. Um, it, We'll, we'll see. I'm not sure if it's going to be live. I'll give you more details as the week goes on, but you're going to get to hear me chatting with him. I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. So I just got that confirmed up this weekend and I wanted to make sure and mention it today on the show. So do you guys remember when uh, we were rejoicing over $60 million in funding being stripped? Well, it wasn't that it was stripped. New rules that were issued by the Trump administration surrounding Title 10 funding meaning Title X clinics, clinics that receive Title X funding for women's reproductive health, couldn't use that money to refer women to abortion facilities. So Planned Parenthood facilities 
obviously provide abortions and the, even the clinics that don't provide abortions refer women to uh, their own centers, their, their abortion providing centers. Well, with the new ruling, all Planned Parenthood had to do was stop referring people for abortions. They could still get the, the money to do the services like, you know, um, maybe their well woman visits or their STD testing, whatever. Well, they decided they won't participate in anything that doesn't funnel money to abortion because that is their number one mandate. It's the, the reason they exist. And if they're not referring uh, women to their abortion clinics, then why take the money? So they opted out. Well, because of this, there's been some, uh, you know, kind of, I, I can't say they're unintended consequences. Stuff is happening because they decided to make this, this, this choice. So some of the clinics that have uh, now, you know, they're a part of the, million haircut. Um, Some of these clinics are now cutting staff. They're charging for services that had been free and making other austerity moves to avert a major hollowing out of reproductive health care for poor women. At least four state health departments, hundreds of Planned Parenthood clinics, and dozens of independent providers have withdrawn from the more than $250 million Title X program. Some have literally had to box up and return unused supplies that were bought with the government discount. They're leaning on emergency funds, private donations, and in some cases, their local state governments are picking up the gap. It's not enough for some of them. They're trying to preserve as much patient access as they can, so they're imposing new fees, trimming sex education, and suspending some sexually transmitted disease testing. Wow. So they say they're watching the safety net disintegrate right before their very eyes. Why? Because they don't want to refer for abortions. So instead of them just saying women's reproductive health and the opportunity for poor women to have STD testing is far more important than referring for abortion. So we're going to keep those services and we're going to keep those funds. We just won't refer for abortion. I mean, abortion's lawful in this country and it's not a secret that you can get an abortion. So they don't need, they don't even need to do the referrals. You see what I'm saying? But they're not, they're not willing to even acknowledge the fact that poor women's reproductive health care services are more important than referring them for abortions, which tells you a lot about who they are and what they really believe in, doesn't it? So there's also another provision to this. Um, and this provision requires additional layers of physical and financial separation between abortion and other reproductive health services. So basically a Chinese wall, which would stop all of this commingling of funds that has all of us taxpayers currently funding abortions. If you run a, a service that their your prime aim is to get abortions, to provide abortions to people, and you're doing other services, and abortion is 97% of what you do, and only 3% of what you do is the other stuff, but you're getting, uh, you know, 60 or 70% of your funding from the, the, the federal government, then those numbers don't add up, do they? They don't add up. So... That new law, the the second part of the provisioning requiring the additional layers of physical and financial separation, that takes effect in 2020. And so when that rolls out, there could be a new wave of cuts because clinics are going to be burning through cash on hand and then they're going to run out and they're going to have to cut new stuff. Now, fundraising could forestall the service rollbacks, obviously, a lot of uh, rich people support abortion because they support population control and eugenics and they are not hiding it. They're, they're fine with it. Um, which as a preview for tomorrow, we are going to talk about Dave Chappelle. I know that's a story that's been making the rounds and I didn't want to jump too far ahead of it before I'd heard what he'd said. And I do have some of that information. Maybe we'll have time to get into it in just a minute here, but on this, um, This author over at Politico is saying that the reality could be a permanent reduction in free or low-cost family planning services across the country. Hmm. So women who are going to these clinics, when they realize they're being charged, even poor women don't have access to a cell phone or a, a telephone book or something where they can go to a federally funded clinic where everything's still free and they can get a gynecological exam, a mammogram, any kind of well woman testing they want. You're telling me, that these poor women have no idea that there are federally funded clinics that are not Planned Parenthood branded that they could definitely go to and get the same services, just not an abortion. So I'm not buying it. I love it when people write these. these this is a propaganda piece under the guise of news. And it's, it's, it's completely, we know that women who are shackled by poverty 
don't necessarily have the highest level of education. But these women are not necessarily incapable of finding information out. You know, the the assumption that poor women, which is in most cases when liberals are talking, that's a euphemism for black women, that poor women are unable to learn about alternative services and there's nothing, you just, if it's not Planned Parenthood, they'll never know about it. Um, It actually belies the true situation when it comes to advertising, which is Planned Parenthood advertises almost exclusively to poor minority women because that's the target of their services. Those are the people they want to have the abortions. So other women and women in other economic strata can go to a private clinic, um, can get an abortion through the, a physician, you know, physicians that provide abortions in uh, hospitals and things like that. But poor women rely on Planned Parenthood. So their, their statement that poor women won't know what to do, they'll have a permanent reduction in access, really means they'll have a permanent reduction in the number of abortions they have access to because they'll be engaged in other plan, family planning services. And God forbid women, poor or otherwise, black or otherwise, actually end up in a real hospital with a real gynecologist who says, do you want to keep getting pregnant? And the woman says, actually, no, I don't. And then she says, well, here's some actually effective birth control or maybe perhaps a gynecologist, which this is what they actually do. Real doctors will tell you, well, maybe you want to have a, uh, you know, you want to have your tubes tied. Maybe you want to have, a, you know, a more permanent solution. Now, I'm not advertising, I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating for any one of those options, but a real gynecologist who's not someone who's just there to make sure you get pregnant every other year so you can have an abortion is going to offer you alternatives so that you're not, your only option isn't to get pregnant and have an abortion every year. Real doctors who are caring for you as a patient are going to help you figure out what you want to do, whether you're poor or whether you, you know, walk in and you're sporting, you know, uh, designer couture. They, they, a real doctor is going to give you a full range of options and help you to make some decisions. And being treated like a human being with respect instead of someone who's just another check mark off on how many abortions could we have could we perform this month how many abortions could we perform on women this month are we meeting our Planned Parenthood Federation of America targets for how many babies we're aborting real clinics with real OBGYNs are going to provide comprehensive health care services to women that include reproductive care they're going to counsel women on how they can have better lives and better outlooks for what they plan to do true planning not family planning but planning that involves their reproduction that can give them a a better outlook on life than going into a clinic and being treated like, you know, an animal and, and butchered upon and then left out in a waiting room for your loved one to come clean you up and take you out. That's what we're trying to get away from. And, you know, God bless President Trump for being strong enough of will to follow through on this. So many other presidents that we've had, especially on the Republican side, have given a lot of lip service to being pro-life from conception to natural death. And Donald Trump, who many call a Bulgarian and a Philistine, has taken the strongest stance. He's done the most on this issue. And I don't know about you, but I think he could deserve a pat on the back for this. I applaud his efforts here, and let's pray that he does even more. All right, happy Labor Day, y'all. Back with more tomorrow. Righteously American, Stacey on the right.